Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sup Talk Radio. I am excited today. This is the first podcast of the year, and I can't have a better guest. He is a bodybuilder, powerlifter, marketing visionary, working for companies like GAT, Nutribio, Animal Universal. He's a husband and dad to multiple furry kids. (laughs) We'll talk the supplement industry, marketing, everything in general, and his new venture, Power Paw Power Nutrition. There you go. Everyone, welcome Eric Schwartz. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Ah, you're welcome, Sean. I'm happy to be here and honored, and I appreciate the time. So let's let's start off here. You know, let's get it right out of the let's get it right out of the gat, right out of the, the, the thing here. Paul Power, let's talk about it. Educate educate everybody. I'm excited. I cool. have it. My dog loves it, but let let's kind of educate everybody quickly. Okay. So, real quick, we started this venture in July of uh, 2021. My wife and I, we have a great passion for dogs and rescue dogs in particular. Uh, As you alluded to, I have a lot of knowledge and experience in marketing um, with nutritional supplements. So why not take that knowledge and that passion of dogs and combine the two things? And a lot of people said to me, hey, why don't you start your own supplement company? And while that would be cool and fun, because I love the supplement industry, um, there's just so much out there and it's saturated. And, yep, and I, you know, it'd be tough to come out with something that's different, and you, you know, there's a lot of competition and stuff. So I looked into the dog space, which is huge uh, and only growing, and a lot of people got dogs during COVID and all that stuff, and really looked at like, can I bring better, better for your pet nutritional products to your dogs? Yeah. And uh, we saw some opportunities there where we felt we can come out with a superior product, but not only just a product, a brand. So we have one product now, but it's going to expand to a lot of different things. And our whole thing is to help your dogs live a better life, use healthier products for them. And at the same time, we have a mission where we raise money each month. We donate a portion of our sales to a different deserving dog rescue. So I'll give you a quick rundown. I don't want to make this an infomercial about dog no, butter. but please. <laughs> so the quick rundown is this. Um, we make peanut butter for dogs, right? We call it dog butter. And I'll tell you real quick why it's different than human peanut butter. And um, then we have a couple of different versions, which have some additives to them that really make it better. So number one, um, can your dog eat human peanut butter? Yes, but they add a lot of stuff to human peanut butter to make it taste good for humans, Mm -hmm. um, to mass produce it for long shelf life so that you don't have to stir it. So they add all these hydrogenated oils. They add salt, sugar. Um, Some of them add xylitol. Uh, yeah, mostly in the fitness ones. So like nuts and more, those fitness ones that, that they want lower calories, they'll add xylitol, which is actually something that's natural. And sometimes it's listed as birch sugar. So you wouldn't even know it's xylitol. Uh, the problem is it's fine for humans, but it's completely toxic for dogs. Oh, wow. Uh, that's okay. also in toothpaste. That's in gum. So if you have dogs, keep your gum away from, you know, a spot where dogs can grab it off the counter and toothpaste too, because it's toxic. So ours is very pure, right? We don't even use salt. We use unsalted non-GMO peanuts and a little bit of honey in our original, right? Okay. We have a version that's really good for oops, sorry, for their uh, digestion. So we to that one, we add pumpkin and we add a little bit of cinnamon, which is good for their blood sugar as well. Nice. And then the one I'm the most excited about that we ju- just launched is called Berry Flexible. And okay. you guys in the supplement space will be familiar because it has a fully dosed joint supplement 
and transparent um, in every tablespoon. So you're getting glucosamine, chondroitin, MSM, and turmeric in every tablespoon. And you don't have to give uh, pills. You just give them a tablespoon of the peanut butter, which they absolutely love. We did extensive testing. <laughs> yep. And it's it does solve a problem, right? Besides it being a fun, like delicious snack for them, um, we really came out with it because we've given our dogs medicine, right? We had to give them pills. We put it in their kibble. They'd eat all the kibble and they'd leave the tablet. Yep. Right? It happens all the time. So we started doing it in cheese. And sometimes they would take it and sometimes they wouldn't. I started doing it in peanut butter and they took it every time. It covered the taste. It covered the smell of the pills. Yep. And that's really how this was born. And I said, look, I'm looking at the human peanut butter. I'm like, you know, we could do better. So that's kind of how it was born, man. And uh, like I said, we plan on doing a lot more. We're going to build a brand here to really help people. My wife is a dog trainer, so we try and provide um, educational um, content as well to help you live your lives, healthier lives with dogs. So it's more than just selling a product. We really want to help people. So Eric, with the joint formula, is there really an age that we should be, in your recommendation, that we should be giving it to the dog? I mean, obviously you don't want to give it as, as a baby, but you say three, four, five years. Like, What age is a good time to give dogs joint formulas? So every dog is going to be different because all yep. dogs have different, like, you know, lifespans. And some dogs are not prone to joint problems. You know, smaller dogs, they put less pressure on their joints. Bigger mm -hmm. dogs, like I have a big French Mastiff, and they're prone to hip dysplasia and knee yep. problems. So, um, like you said, a puppy probably doesn't need this. I'd probably give it to a two-, three-year-old dog at that age, depending on the breed. Again, if it's a breed like a Mastiff that has a short um, short lifespan and they're sure. larger and put more in the joints, I'd probably start them on it earlier. Um, are, there, are there any dogs that you would suggest or any breeds that you would suggest not to give it to? Like my dad has two Great Danes and their stomachs supposedly always get very sensitive. So I don't know if there's anything from that standpoint. There shouldn't be unless they have a, an issue digesting peanuts, which most dogs do not. Unlike people, the peanut allergies are very rare in dogs. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you always want to assess the tolerance. And I would start with a small amount, make sure that they can digest it well and their stomach can handle it. And speaking oh, of, there's one. somebody creeping behind <laughs> your shoulder there. <laughs> there's one. That's Lindley. Say hi, Lynn. Come here. Yeah, for me, my 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 vice is put a bunch of, bunch of, bone, a bunch of dog biscuits in the Kong, put the peanut butter over the top, ah. freeze it, and my dog goes to town for like 20 minutes. I mean, yeah, she's too stupid, but she loves it. That's that's a great thing. Yeah, put it in a Kong and freeze. It keeps them busy. They also make a thing called a lick mat, which is really cool. Uh, okay. Lick mat is like a rubber. It's a, it's a flat rubber mat, but it has these ridges on it. And you can put the peanut butter or yogurt or anything you want on it, and it keeps the dog occupied for a while. And, you know, you can freeze that too. And uh, it helps with dog's anxiety and stuff, okay. keeping them occupied. Or if you're going to leave the house for a while, you want to keep them occupied, you give them that. What, what kind of breed is that or so she? Lindley is awesome, man. Lindley is uh, a unique breed of a blue healer, which is like uh, related to the Australian cattle dog and a okay. pit bull. And um, she was, unfortunately, um, she was in a dog uh, shelter. I'm sorry, a rescue as a puppy. So yep. abandoned once, someone adopted her. Six months later, dropped her off at the rescue. Outside the rescue, tied her up because nobody was there, tied her up to the rescue Jeez. and called the people at the rescue and said, hey, I left this dog out there. And the, girls claim, the girl claimed that she was vicious. Um, so me and my wife were at, oh, there's big, Biggie Smalls. They'll, they'll hear me talking about him, so they're kind of trying to get in the picture. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, my wife was like, let's go meet this dog. We went to meet her, and I'm like, look, we already had two dogs at that time. I'm sorry, we had three, so this would have been four. And I'm like, yeah. look, we got too many. Um 
my wife said, let's bring her home. And I said, okay, if she gets along with the other dogs, we'll keep her. So we brought her home as a trial. Um, and they got along great. In fact, she's bonded with my mastiff. They're like boyfriend and girlfriend. Uh, and she's just the sweetest dog. She's pretty amazing. Very smart. Did you, did you have any issues? I mean, obviously she was given back, but did you see any issues? We saw nothing. Uh, yeah. The only thing I saw is she's um, nervous with people. She growled right. at me the first night and didn't like me the first night, but the next morning she was fine. But with people come over, she doesn't trust them at first. So something must have happened uh, along the way. So, and I've told you this in a text. I'm a dog rescuer myself. The last three dogs, we only keep one at a time because that's what we can what we can take care of. But I have so much respect for people that rescue dogs. I mean, not to diminish people that that spend the thousands of dollars yeah. on dogs, but I wish they would understand that you know your purebred can be it's just as good as getting you know rescue dog because they're not as I think rescue dogs get a, get a, a bad moniker of being damaged. And a lot of times they're not. Right. Some could be, some may not. We had a bad experience with one dog that we got from a shelter that we couldn't keep because we had other dogs and he had many issues and it wouldn't yep. have been safe for anybody. Um, but in general, yeah, it's, and there's nothing wrong with getting a purebred. My Mastiff is a purebred. We got him from a breeder, um, but we have three rescues along with him. So yeah, if you can rescue, it's great. There are thousands of dogs out there that need homes. Uh, if you can't and you want a purebred, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to feel guilty about that at all. So, Eric, I know you've been on the final scoop a few times, and one of our good friends here, Lucas, is just checking in to say hello. Lucas, my Polish brother. I feel like he's a long-lost Polish brother of mine. Yes, he's a sexy, long-lost Polish brother. <laughs> so, Eric, give us give us a quick synopsis of, of you growing up. I mean, obviously, were you an athlete? Were you a, a bigger kid that took it to weightlifting? Or, like, what was your impetus of getting into the industry? Complete opposite. Um, I was not an athlete. Uh, I did try out like for high school, uh, baseball and football. And I was small and skinny. I was sophomore year of high school I was 110 pounds and real skinny. Wow. Okay. Um, and I got into weightlifting cause I didn't want to be skinny anymore. Yep. You know, I was tired of being skinny. Got, got, got a little teased and picked on in school. Um, nothing terrible, but a little bit. And I didn't want to be that guy anymore. So I got into uh, weightlifting. I had a couple of people luckily take me under their wing. Okay. and teach it to me um and i did some bodybuilding shows back in the day uh but i was always that skinny kid who was just you know skinny and weak and didn't want that anymore so started lifting got into it and got bit by the bug man i just loved it i loved the way it made me feel it gave me confidence and like you saw in an instagram post today that i made uh, it taught me so many great life lessons lifting yes. has just taught me discipline and, and how to tough things out in life and for those people listening, if you don't think, you know, life will kick in the nuts at some point, it's gonna, and it might do yeah. it multiple times. And, you know, I got, I had a couple of really rough spots in my life, but it's nothing compared to other people who have had even rougher spots. So it, lifting and everything, just the lifestyle has just taught me so many good lessons and has been such a great thing for me. And it's a, something I'm passionate about. So were you, obviously, I think you're a tall guy now. You're what, 5'11", maybe? Six foot? Whoa, like, how tall I, are you? I wish, man. I'm five foot seven, dude. Really? Because I'm 5'8". I, I feel like you towered over me when I met you. Mm, okay. No, but that's good that I gave that impression. <laughs> uh, so, you, so you did your first bodybuilding. You did a bodybuilding competition. I mean, how yeah. did you place? Was it like, did you have any guidance? Or was it just emaciated, kind of ripped and step on stage? I, I luckily did have some guidance back then. Um, I, was, I, I wasn't... All that big and i wasn't all ripped enough uh, i never won a bodybuilding competition but my claim to fame i did win two best poser awards back in the day so that's my really? claim to fame yeah at least my presentation was good 
Were you, were you watching videos of Labrata or something? Actually, I did watch Labrata back then, but it was really Sean Ray who kind of, uh, I kind of emulated his style of posing. Okay. And, uh, I still like that. And I'm like, kind of, it kind of bothers me that today that the guys don't put a lot of effort into their posing routines. Yep. Um, and it used to be such a great art form. Like if you want to go, I don't mean to sound like an old head, but if you want to go back and watch like the 1988 Olympia, you want to see good posing routines, go watch that. Like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Those guys, was the age. I was a guy, the late eighties, early nineties. And that's, I was more than nineties bodybuilder guy with the Kevin Lavronis and the Sean Rays. And even the, even the smaller guys like Milo Sarshev yeah. and Labrada's everybody like the second tiers. And like you said, those were the guys that were taking their body and their, their, their uh, posing just as serious. Yeah. They and put again, effort into it. Like, you know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think now it's, I don't even think there's, there's points for it. And I think that's why it's gone out the window. Right there. I don't think they do, do give points and that's one of the reasons, but still, if I'm a pro, right. And I'm going to be up there, I would want to do put my best presentation every time you're a professional, you're a pro. Yep. So do you, do you feel between you and I, do you feel the physiques have gotten better, worse over the years? I mean, friend to friend here. Um, in some ways better and in some ways worse. Okay. So I, to me, uh, I always say this guy, I'm going to say is still has the best physique. I don't believe he's ever been, I don't believe anybody's got been better than him. There have been guys that have gotten bigger, but not better. And I still think Lee Haney had the best physique. Um, yeah. He just had the best combination of size. And back then he was considered a mass monster compared to everybody yep. else. At 230, like 6'2", 230 or something. Right. But he had a tiny waist and tiny hips yeah. and See, like Roddy was bigger and Dorian were bigger, but as they grew bigger, their waist got bigger and blockier and it just wasn't as pleasing. Um, So in some ways it's better. I mean, you've got guys that are extreme, you know, extreme size, look at big Rammy, Nick Walker, those guys, you know, I mean, and I like that. I think it's cool that that size, but you don't have, um, you know, a lot of guys say nineties was the golden era. And if you do go back and look, those physiques look very different. They look much more conditioned. They look better yeah. shape, uh, more balanced. I also think Sean Ray, and nobody likes him personally. Um, I don't have <laughs> a problem with him. He has a bad reputation. I don't have a problem yeah, yeah. with him personally. I never had a bad interaction with him, but he has a bad rep personally. But his physique, amazing. Like, really, you couldn't find a flaw in that guy's physique. His only thing that was against him was that it, his height. He's, you know, he was yeah. five foot seven, you know, and he's never going to beat a Dorian Yates based on that. I remember watching an interview with him, whether it was true or not, that whatever his whatever his span of bodybuilding, 10 or 12 years, whatever it was as a pro, he said from when he stepped on stage his first year to his last year, he only improved by seven pounds. That's how much he put on over that time, where now it's like seven or 10 pounds is 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 low for the professionals nowadays. They want, they want to keep growing and growing and growing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you look at some of the guys, uh, I think the 212 has been a really good thing. Yep. I think we've got some super quality physiques there and that kind of keeps them in check from getting too big and too thick in the waist. Uh, I'm biased, but a really good friend of mine is Sean Clarita. And I think what he's done with his physique is amazing. Um, he's packed on so much muscle every yep. year, slow and steady. So he's kind of kept that aesthetic while growing bigger and bigger, which is cool. Derek Lunsford, look at his shape. Flex yeah. Lewis, you know, those guys just look incredible. So what you, I'm going to put you on the spot here since you brought Sean Clarita and it, it came out in, in somebody's post that Sean's doing both 212 and he's doing open. Should bodybuilders be able to go back and forth or should they really stay in their class? If they leave that class, just now go forward. Well, he's qualified for both. I don't know if they, right now they haven't said if they're going to let him do both. Yeah. But he actually qualified for both the open. I think I would, I think they should let him do both. 
Yeah. I'd like to see. I mean, he obviously he can win the 212, which he's done. Yeah. I'd like to see him what he can do in the open. I'd like to see what Flex Lewis, I mean, Flex is doing the open, but um, I think they should allow him to do both. It'll be interesting, though, because there's a lot of scuttlebutt going on that Flex has to qualify, that they're not giving him, you know, the, the former 212 that wants to do the, the, the open Olympia. He's got to requalify. So I don't know where he's going to land this year. I like Flex a lot. Uh, I'm not good friends with him, but we know each other in the industry. He's always been super great to me. I believe he should have to qualify. He should have to earn it Ooh, like everybody nice. else. Yeah. Interesting. Have you seen pictures of him lately? He's like 240, like a little brick he's house. In, he's incredible. And I, I honestly think he can do some real damage in the open. Like I'm talking, yeah. I think he could be top three. I, I don't, you know, I don't know if he'd ever be able to beat Big Ramy or anything, but I think he'd be top three, top five for sure. Do you think Rami's got longevity or you think he's just two, maybe two or three? Call it now and we'll revisit this at the end of the year. I don't know. Honestly, it's a tough call. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's extreme. You know, he does extreme things and he's extreme. If he can stay healthy, I think he could yep. have some longevity. But, you know, that's a tough game. It's a tough balancing act. Yeah, yeah. So Lucas is asking here, are you going to be at the Arnold this year? I don't. Right now, I don't have plans to go. It could be a last-minute decision, Lucas. It's, it is a place that I can drive to, so I don't have to make that decision right now. Um, I was thinking about going, and then my former company, Animal, is not going to have the animal cage there. So Really? Yeah, so I don't know if I'm going to make the trip. I, I was definitely going to go if they had the cage because I love that so much. Is it? Uh, I don't know if you can divulge. Is it a cost thing, or is it because yeah. Arnold shoot himself in the foot last year? No, it's absolutely a cost thing. So, Animal, what ha what has happened is Animals they have some new people in charge, okay. um, and they're they've come from the CEO um, has come from outside the industry, and he's more of a dollar and cents ROI kind of guy. And okay. It is very expensive. I I won't divulge how much. The yeah, cage yeah. costs to do, but it's extremely expensive. So I can actually understand from an outside perspective, that guy looking at it and saying, Hey, look what this costs. And we don't make it back immediately. Plus you have the unknown factor of how's the crowd going to be. You know, I think it's going to be really good. The crowd, I think people are itching to get out. Yeah. But again, you just don't know what happens if there's another surge of COVID cases and scares people away. You just don't know. Yeah, I'm one of them. I was looking at going to work in a booth with a friend of mine, but it's like, do I gamble it? You know, I, I, not, I, not that I live in fear of COVID, but again, in large spaces like that, they're not going to see the 50,000 people in a day, but I still think they're going to see some serious numbers. I will tell you this, before COVID, and this is long before COVID ever existed, every year um, when I worked the Arnold and I came home, I got sick every year. And it's, really? the it's the combination of, you know, we're working very long days and, and busting our yeah. ass, but you're talking to a million people, you're shaking hands, you're touching money. Yeah. It's just bound to happen. You know what I mean? Um, but every year that's what, that's what happens. So, I, I mean, it's, not, it, I think the whole COVID thing's a little overblown. Um, I don't know if we want to go down that road, but I just think it's a little <laughs> overblown. <laughs> So, so educate me for just a minute, uh, Eric, because because I again I was I was using supplements in the late '80s, and Universal was one of those big companies. It was Twin Lab and Universal, and some of the big boys. What's the delineation between Animal and Universal? I know the same company, but what like yeah. what's the what's the split? So the 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 quick backstory is that it the brand was always Universal Nutrition, and they had a singular product that came out in 1983 called Animal Pack. It wasn't yet mm -hmm. its own separate brand. It was just a product within the Universal line. And the original label said Universal Animal Pack. It looked nothing like it does today. Okay. Uh, and then somewhere in the early 2000s, before I got there, they decided to make it a separate brand. Okay. 
And the, the idea was that Animal was really focused on the hardcore bodybuilder. And it would speak to those people. It would make products specific for those people where universal was more universal for yeah. better, better word for kind of more like everybody who's into fitness. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So it's, it was cool, man. It was really successful. I give animal kudos for doing that. Very smart. You know, they were focused on one segment of consumers and, uh, and they became the go-to brand for that segment of consumers. And their animal pack is still, I don't know if there's been any new versions of that, but that still seems like it's its still one of the number one things for as long as it's been around. They have updated it several times over the years as better oh, forms okay. of vitamins and minerals. Yeah, minor updates. You know, the whole, the basics of it are the same, but they've updated over the years. Almost every couple of years, they would do like a little reformulation and update it. Sure. So let me ask you this, being a marketing guy, again, you've seen the big and the small, and maybe it's just my opinion, but it seems like the big companies are no longer the dominant ones like they were in the 80s and 90s. I mean, there was the mm -hmm. Twin Labs in the 2000s, the VPXs and the BSNs. And now it seems like it's all the smaller companies. Is it just, I mean, what do you, what's the reason behind it? Or do you know? Uh, I've, this is just an educated guess, but yeah, uh, several things that I've noticed in the marketplace. One, these newer companies are better at connecting with consumers. Okay. They're much better at like digital, social, and people, consumers nowadays, not just want to buy from a company. They want to buy from people. Yes. People that they know, people that they trust. Um, they're kind of, there's been like a shift in consumers where, at least in the supplement industry, where they don't want to buy from these big, you know, corporate brands. They'd yeah. rather buy. And I think some of the companies like, you know, your ghosts and those kind of companies really embrace this digital era and the social media yeah. um, and really embrace that. And I think that's really, really helped. They speak to those consumers. They listen to those consumers. Uh, and the the legacy brands, so to speak, are, were very slow to adapt to digital and social. They still mm -hmm. are some of them. Um, and I think that's been the big difference. Because it it seems like the larger companies are taking their business more internationally than they're doing domestically, or maybe maybe I'm wrong, but when I'm hearing that these companies are still around, they're doing business overseas and not as much here. Well, the over, the people overseas like the bigger uh, legacy brands, the more established American brands. Yeah, they do know that. Um, the other thing about these newer, smaller companies is that they're much more nimble. They move quicker. Mm -hmm. They'll come out with new formulas quicker. They'll reformulate quicker. Um, better flavors they're doing those uh, all those flavor collabs with these big companies yeah um, they're just much quicker to make decisions and like i like you know i've been behind the scenes in these other companies these the, the three brands i work for are all legacy brands and they're much slower to to make these decisions yeah do you do you feel it's as a company it's when it comes to marketing is it easier with all the social media or is it just as kind of crazy to a point because there's so much now i think in a lot of ways it's easier Okay. Because you can, like I said, you can connect with people. You can get instant feedback from them. You can, you have all the um, digital statistics that you can get. You can run an ad, you can run a post, and you can see immediately what what people um, engage with, right? Yep. Um, where in the past, you have to run a magazine ad, you'd spend $10,000 for a page in Flex Magazine, and yep. hope and pray that it did something. And you really had no idea if that drove a sale or not. Now I can run a digital ad on Facebook and I know that it went from Facebook to the website and that, that resulted in a conversion or a sale. So yeah. it's really like a golden age for marketing in that respect. 
Now, on the flip side, there's a lot of noise out there and you have mm -hmm. a lot of competition um, and there's a lot of noise on social. And how do you get that mind share and, and people's attention span? So it's a yeah. little bit harder in that way because there are so many more brands and the barrier of entry over the past five, 10 years has been so low that there's a million more brands now. You know, back like you said, back in the day, it was maybe five big brands and that's all you were competing yeah. with. You know? I actually, I actually miss the magazine days. I, I, I'm going to date myself. Or I just miss it because it's, I mean, I love Instagram. I love social media, but like one of my peeves right now, and I'm sure maybe you see it. I don't know how in depth you get when these sponsored ones come up. I click on them and half the time they don't even have inventory yet. They're kind of trying to build a brand awareness. And I'm like, you have 50 followers. You probably spent, I don't know, maybe $50, $100. Yeah. And you don't have product yet. Yeah, I, I look at the ads too very carefully since I've been, you know, digital marketing kind of my thing. So I actually do like to follow through, click on the ad, like you said, see where it takes me. What's the, what's the experience of that consumer going to that ad? So yep. a lot of companies, they miss the boat, right? They'll spend all this money on these Facebook ads and all they do is drive you to their product page and you get there and it's, it's a product and a price, a picture of the product and the price. Now, yep. I'm a consumer and I'm scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, and lucky enough to catch my attention. I click on that ad, but I might not be sold yet totally on the product. It just got my attention. Maybe it's interesting. I need yep. to be sold. You know, I want to know the, what's the benefit. And the first thing you do is dump me on a page with just a picture of the product and a price. Doesn't really tell me what it does. Doesn't really yep. sell me on the benefit. You really want to have uh, like a digital sales funnel. Somebody mm -hmm. comes from that ad, they come to a, I would put it on a landing page and I would start with the benefits, you know, boom, boom, boom. Yep. Here's what this can do for you. Here's why. Now here's the price. Now here's the, uh, the formula. And as you go down a page, um, there should be multiple options to either learn more about it or mm -hmm. buy right away. Uh, a lot of companies also make the mistake of they just have that one add to cart button at the top. Now I'm scrolling down and I want to read more. You should have yep. another, you should have several add to cart or buy now buttons because you don't want to make the person scroll back up again. You want to reduce friction, make it easy for the consumer. And the biggest mistake I see is that these companies think that everybody buys the same, and not everybody buys the same. Exactly. Some, some people's habits. I see I see that ad, and I'm ready to go. Boom! I just want to buy it right now. But there are a yep. lot of people that, like I said, need more convincing, or they want more information, or more in depth. They want to read reviews. They want to do all that stuff. So everybody's got different buying habits and you have to kind of take that into account. A lot of times your consumer is not prepared to buy today, mm -hmm. but you're just getting that mind share, right? I, I put a, let's say I put an ad for a pre-workout and um, it's just that mind share, but I'm not ready to buy today. A couple of weeks go by. Maybe I see a second ad all of a sudden, you know, one day, all right, now I'm ready to buy. And that brand sticks in their head. Hey, I saw that ad three times. It spoke to me. Now I'm ready to go. So yep. you have to keep that in mind that people have different buying behaviors and patterns. See, my thing is too, because because companies sometimes reach out to me, you know, to say, oh, what do you think and whatnot? And I say, well, what's your audience? Where's your target? And I don't think they have a mission statement or a target. They're like, I have a pre-workout. It's Man. it's a high stem. Okay, great. Well, what's your target? What's your mission statement? You know, well, why do I want to buy from you? Because you're using eight grams of citrulline and 3.2 beta alanine and you got 300 milligrams of caffeine. Why do I want to buy from you and not the other 50 grams that have the same thing? Man, you hit the nail on the head. Um, and I'm not going to name names, but again, I worked for some companies where they just, they don't even know who their target customer was. Yep. 
and it's beyond, it's not, some of these CEOs just think it's demographics. Well, our customer is, you know, 18 to 34 and he's into bodybuilding. That's not knowing your customer. Yeah. You don't understand your customer. And like you said, there's 50 companies, there's a hundred companies. Why am I buying your product? What makes you different? You got to know your buyer's persona. You got to know their interests. You got to know their buying habits. And almost all these pre-workouts, honestly, 90% of them are the same formula, right? I agree. Caffeine, I couldn't agree with you more. Citrulline. You know, there's, they, they all follow the same basic pattern, right? Yep. So what's going to make you different is your branding. And like you said, your messaging. Does this brand understand me as a consumer? Does it speak to me as a consumer? And just going back to my days as a consumer, that's how I got hooked on Animal. I saw the ads, right? The shut up and train ads and all those motivational ads. And then I got on their website and I spent hours reading the articles and they spoke my language. Now they may not speak everybody's language, but I was into hardcore bodybuilding and powerlifting. Spoke my language. I think uh, companies like Ghost do it really well. Um, Mm -hmm. Glaxon, right? So Glaxon's so interesting to me. And I took this before the podcast. So I I was going to ask you, that was one of the (laughs) questions I was going to ask you because I bought one myself, but we'll talk about it, see what your thoughts are. But anyway. Um, it's a very interesting brand to me that their aesthetic and their messaging and stuff would, as a consumer, it would not speak, doesn't speak to me. Okay. okay. The whole space thing, the goons, yep. it doesn't speak to me, but there are a big segment of consumers. It does speak to, and they know their consumer. And I like, what I like about it is they're disciplined about it in their branding and their marketing. And they don't try to be everything to everybody. Yes. That's the biggest mistake. If you just think I want to sell to everybody, you're screwed, man. You're screwed. Yeah. CrossFit people want something made for CrossFit. Powerlifters want something made for powerlifters. Bodybuilders want something made for bodybuilders. Yeah. You got to know your audience. You hit the nail on the head with that. And I think a lot of it sometimes you miss. So so you you need a good product. And sometimes you just need either the good marketing, the labels and whatnot. But I think sometimes people, they're not able to combine that. Like they might have a great product and really legitimately good product, but they don't know how to get it out there. You know, like I say, Ghost Ghost has the whimsical labels and everything else. Yeah. You got Glaxon. You've got I think there's just a small amount of companies that really don't have the marketing chops, or they just think, oh, I'm going to come out with a great product because I've got three thousand followers and now I'm going to be instant instant famous. It does not sell on its own. And like you said, there's so much competition. Why would I buy from you? Now yeah. the good brands. They'll give value to consumers. That could be education. It could be entertainment. Um, I always said when we're in supplements, we're not selling, you know, pills and powders. Yep. We're providing solutions. Customer wants to lose fat. If I just say, hey, here, take this, you know, and you'll lose fat. That's not helping the customer. Yeah. But hey, yeah. if I provide them with, you know, how to diet, how to exercise, in addition to the supplement, now yep. you're helping me out. Or, I had, or it might just be entertainment, you know? Either way, you, you're you're giving more value to that consumer. And no, I agree. Do I that. agree. So, so how do people, I guess, how do people how do people get the knowledge just to be better marketers, I guess? Is it really just, I mean, what was your path? I know you, you have a degree, but I mean, I were you like, you had your job, but were you on the side, like analyzing what everybody else is doing? Or how did you educate yourself oh. to keep up with the Joneses? Yeah, so I, I did get a degree in marketing, um, but I had never applied it. The funny thing is I came from a sales background, okay. and an animal hired me for marketing. They actually liked the fact that I had a sales background and that I was a consumer first. So that um, it gave a different perspective. So I always had that mindset of the consumer. I knew kind of what spoke to me and what marketing spoke to me. But again, I'm not everybody. So I don't want to yeah. say what works for me works for everybody. 
I really learned, I learned a lot on the job and I was fortunate. Um, there were some great people at animal and universal and I learned a tremendous amount there about marketing. Um, that was probably the biggest, the biggest impact on me. And then I, I was fortunate to be around, as you said, we had the magazines. I was around and in marketing as social media came aboard. Got I it. set up the first social media council for animal and did all that stuff. So I kind of learned on the fly. Okay. Um, and it was a lot of experimentation. And then I try and stay up on the latest changes. And as you know, it's social, there's constant changes in the algorithm and stuff. Yep. Um, I, I watch a lot of, uh, this may sound corny or whatever, but the guy who really is probably the best out there that I look at is Gary V. Uh, yeah. Just okay. Very smart. Um, he just seems to be ahead of the curve. And the biggest thing I learned from him was to have an open mind. Don't poo poo stuff. You know, a lot of people blew off TikTok like, Hey, it's just girls <laughs> dancing. And it's so much more than that. And yeah. look at the power of TikTok. If you watch the news last week, Facebook lost what? Like $200 million. They got yeah. killed and they're getting killed because of TikTok and people are doing real business on TikTok. It's not just girls shaking their booty on there. That happens too, but um, it's much more <laughs> than that. And a lot of people poo poo TikTok and they still do it. They're still not taking it serious. I see brands that are not taking it serious and they're missing out big time. See, I didn't know. I, I don't know if it was maybe you on a previous show or my son had told me it was musically or whatever the, whatever the former rendition was. I learned that luckily from my niece. She was 14 at the time. Now she's 17, but she showed me musically and she's the one who kind of taught me. And here's where it really like hit me. One day I'm with her. She's 15 at this time and she's drinking okay. a bang energy drink. And I said, where the hell did you even hear about bang? And she goes, TikTok. And I'm like, look at the power of like this, yeah. the social media network. Like, look at the power it has. Oh man. So let me so let me ask you a question about Animal and Universal. You were there, what, eight, nine years, give or take, maybe? Eleven. From 2008 okay. to 2019. So was that an average tenure? Because I look at you, but then I look at the like the the not the ambassador to call him because I know Vinny Galanti was with you guys forever. Yeah, Frank McGrath has been history, there. Vinny. Yeah. Frank McGrath has been there forever. I mean, is that is that average? Like people having low no, tenure there, or definitely not. Well, it's, it's average. It was average for Universal and Animal. It was not average for the industry. Um, yeah, we tended to have longer term relationships with people. Um, we were very, very careful about who we signed on as athletes. Very yeah. picky. I cannot tell you how many athletes, potential athletes, we looked at, and for one reason or another, just did not fit our philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, it was very important, the brand, the reputation to the brand. People had to be the right fit. The one thing that was really awesome about Animal that I learned so much from my former boss was to be authentic. And yeah, yeah. so important there. We didn't want anything to be BS. Um, and he hired almost everybody he hired at one time when I was in the marketing department was a competitor in some sort. We had bodybuilding oh, wow. competitors, powerlifting competitors. We had a girl who did bikini com competitions. So when we did come out with an ad or a product or an idea, it was very authentic. It wasn't yeah. you know, just some uh, corporate executives coming up with it. You know, it was very small. As big as animal was, it was run like a very small family company. It's a little different now because they brought in somebody from the outside, but um it was very important to be authentic. And I think all brands should be authentic. Don't try to BS people. Do you think there's more people in it for the cash grab than actually the authenticity? It's hard to I say. Mean, it's hard to say. I think there's a lot of people that are very passionate about it. They do want to, you know, it is a business to them, but there's also a lot of good, passionate people in the business. So I think there's a lot of authentic, authentic people in there. So we had somebody chime in. How about a pre-workout for dogs? 
Yeah. I don't know about a pre-workout, but I definitely want to do supplements for dogs. Um, definitely going to do something to that effect. I, it's not going to be a, it, it wouldn't be any kind of traditional pre-workout, but I was at a dog trade show a couple of weeks ago and somebody had a, a Gatorade for dogs, which I thought was really? interesting. Yes. For hydration. It was, you know, it was like a, okay. a liquid that had electrolytes and stuff. Um, yeah. I've been looking at like looking into the research like creatine for dogs and stuff there are some supplements that that we could do for dogs and uh we're gonna be looking at them maybe like a digest maybe something with digestion maybe for sure yeah that is a big thing probiotics digestion absolutely yeah so eric you you asked me earlier before we came on the air we want to talk a little controversy do we want to talk about the the blackstone thing at all when you said controversy i don't know what 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 door you want sure. to open here i'm an open book okay yeah let's talk about it um so I don't want to make this like a personal slander on, on anybody personally, but as we know, recently the two guys involved in Blackstone Iron and MPJ um, did a lot of shady stuff. And yep. there have been people over the years that have done a lot of shady things in the industry. And it's very, very unfortunate. You have people that come in, like you asked who is authentic. Um, those guys are not authentic. Those guys are in it for the cash grab and the quick cash grab. And it's a shame and it hurts the whole entire industry. Yeah, um, it really puts a black eye on the industry, and there's so much like legitimate money to be made that you don't need to cheat people and cheat consumers. And if you really look at the in depth of what these guys did, it was really devious and and, and terrible. It's just it's more than I see comments from people on there, and they think, oh, all right, so they just put some steroids in the supplements, and uh, that's that's a good thing anyway because I'll get a stronger supplement. But they did a lot more. It goes really in depth. If you yeah. read that indictment, these guys were impersonating. FDA agents to consumers, a consumer emailed in to complain that they got nauseous from their product and they were, they were impersonating an FDA agent telling the consumer that there's, you know, don't worry about it. It's fine. We checked it out. Yep. They were not reporting adverse event reports. Now there's a thing in the supplement industry. If a consumer complains, they got sick, they went to the hospital, they threw up. No, you I have to put that on file with the FDA. Now these two guys, I got, I, I got to think that Aaron and PJ are knuckleheads because you don't get in trouble for the, for reporting a, uh, adverse event reports, but they have to be on file. The FDA does yep. not get you in trouble, and I think they were just afraid that maybe they'd get in trouble or it would leak out. Um, so that that was you know concerning. And then these guys, they're in legal trouble now for the Blackstone stuff, but they did something with Prime Nutrition. And, uh, they were underdosing a product, Intra-MD, with John Meadows, that John Meadows yep. were formulating with them. And he had a third party tested while he was working for them and it didn't have in it what it said. So they were cheating consumers back then. That's a, that's open. You guys can Google it. And yeah, see yeah, all the yeah. Stuff on that. And that's just terrible. That's just, a, you know, they're cheating consumers. And I think it's a terrible thing, uh, you know, and they did get caught. I guess I don't think they ever thought they were going to get caught, but they did. And they're now paying a price. And I, re I really feel bad for their family. Like yeah, this guy, yeah. Aaron, has a wife and kids and that's just a terrible thing. But. It's all self-inflicted, man. I know. And I'm wondering if, you know, let's face it, it's, it's a black guy in the industry. If other companies that are doing some shady tactics, if they're now kind of eyes are open or if they're just kind of like, oh, well, they got caught. I'm not going to get caught type of thing. You know, that's what I'm hoping is it opens the bigger eye. Because let's face it, years ago, we had USP Labs that one or two people died. Right. Or, and that guy's whatever. in jail, right? The guy from USP Labs in jail. I, I don't know if he still is, but yeah, I know he's got jail time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. So what I would say to consumers, do your research, um, support brands and people that are good people that you know that are 
reputable. Yeah. Uh, people knew about this this Blackstone stuff going back for years, and they still did business with these guys even after that stuff happened. Yeah. You know, I'd be embarrassed to be associated with those guys. Just I'm just and not to open up the whole can here, but I'm just curious, like how Redcon is. I don't know if it's the way he was done the way he set up the company, but how they've basically been freed. Redcon, the company, has been free, not by association with Aaron. Well, I mean, it's taken a little bit of a public relations hit, but I don't think, yeah, Redcon's going to be all that affected. All this stuff in, that was named in it was during the Blackstone days. So yep. I think Redcon will be, be still in business, I believe. I think, you know, I don't think, obviously, Aaron was a big driving force behind it, but he's got a lot of people that work there. So I think they'll still be in business. I, Blackstone is allowed to continue, but I just don't see how. I don't think anybody's buying Blackstone stuff. No, well, I think I think High Tech owns it now. I think High Tech is the majority Correct. owner. Oh, do do a Google search on him. On Weed or who? On Jared Weed. Oh, I oh I I know going back years years years. I know I know High Tech's had their blemishes. So right there, like anybody that gets their products made with that guy, you know what? Like what? You know the guy's reputation. You know what he's done. Why would you be involved with that guy? Yeah, this doesn't make sense. Let's see. Uh, so, Eric, with with your supplement routine, is there anything that are staples, not brands per se, but staples that are always, you know, first and foremost in your cabinet? Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, creatine daily. There's so much uh, good things about creatine beyond the gym. Um, there's cognitive benefits, um, brain, brain protective benefits. And honestly, as I'm getting older and uh, unfortunately, my dad suffered from dementia. It's like that kind of stuff is on my mind about being, you know, um, conscious about health and, and as you age. So creatine is absolutely a staple. I, uh, I just stocked up on some more yesterday because as you may or may not know, there's a little bit of a shortage and the prices are going up. So oh, I just yeah. bought a big 200 serving container. So I'm good for a while. Um, so creatine for sure. Protein really for the convenience. Um, you don't need a protein supplement, but to me, it's a convenience uh, factor. It's easier to do a couple of scoops of protein than than cook a bunch of stuff. So I always have that. I like to do a greens product. Um, I do like to do pre workout, but I don't like high stim pre workouts. Same way here. So I'll either get a lower stim or I'll get a non stim. But I do add caffeine. I just like my own amount of caffeine. So the average nowadays, like we said, all these pre workouts are the same. Most of them are like three fifty. Yeah, to yeah. me, that's a little too much, right? I like okay. like two, two fifty, and I'm good. So I'll add my own caffeine, either caffeine tablets or I'll take a couple of cups of coffee, um, and then do a non-stem or a low-stem pre-workout. Uh, I take a slew of like health supplements, okay, um, staples, basic vitamins, C, D, fish yeah. oil, um, greens powder. I got, got one here. Uh, joint supplement. Still use Animal Flex. Man, I've been using this forever. Um, is that but how big is that though? Is that like six or eight tablets or what's is it still coming in a little package? Yep. They do make okay. a flex powder, which I I like the powder too because it's less yeah, but these okay. pills are these are not that big compared to yeah, like okay. the, animal, the regular animal pack. But they make it in a powder version now too, so you can uh, just drink it. But that's been a staple, I don't know, since I don't know, 15 years I've been on animal flex and I don't have it. Literally have no joint problems at all. I'm 50 years old, still doing powerlifting. I've had yeah mus muscular injuries, but no joint issues. So Good I really you. believe in that stuff. Uh, and then, like we were talking, this is this is a whole new frontier. These nootropics and brain supplements, I think, are very, very interesting category for me. What do you what do you think so far of that? I've only, I've only taken one serving so far, okay. and I, I can't really say much now. But what do you what are you seeing? Or what do you, yeah, you feel any different? I've been taking it about three weeks, and I really do notice um, an increase in in focus. 
okay. uh, and concentration. And I've taken it different times of the day. I've tried a pre-workout. And uh, the best way I really like to take it is mid-afternoon while I'm working. Instead yep. of reaching for another cup of coffee when I'm working on a project or I have a meeting, um, I'll do three, three of these in like 30, 45 minutes. And this is no, I have no affiliation with Glaxon. I paid for yeah, this yeah. out of my own pocket. Um, and I feel a big difference um, in that focus factor. Now they claim they make some pretty bold claims on here about improving memory and coordination. You know, those are bold, bold claims. Um, and I can't speak to that. If it does that, that's fantastic. <laughs> so you, you know? use it daily though? I've been using it daily. Yes. Okay. I've been taking it every single day since I got it uh, about two, two, three weeks in now. Yeah. Do you, do you know Joey Savage over there? I don't know if you ever heard that name. I do know Joey. I don't know him personally, but he's I know a, who he is. He's one of the brightest guys I think I've ever met. I mean, we, we both know Robert Janetsky, who was on another level, yeah. but Joey's like three times Robert. Yeah. No, no. I think they I think he's extremely bright. Um, and I like, I like their formulas. Like I said, their branding doesn't do it for me. Uh, if I yep. wasn't in the industry and I was just a consumer, I probably wouldn't look at their stuff <laughs> and that's no insult to them. It just doesn't, their aesthetic doesn't attract me. Yeah. I know it attracts other people. Um, but the formulas are fantastic. Do you think labels are that important to the, to the actual ingredient panels or no? I don't think they're as important as they used to be. Okay. Because years ago, the only way you bought supplements was to walk into a store and you'd see a physical label, and that's what would attract you. Yep. Nowadays, you kind of learn about the product before the label or at the same time. Um, like you see the label and you learn about the product and you get a feel for the brand on social and what they're about. So I do think a label is important, but I don't think it's the most important thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. What else is on your mind, Eric? I'm enjoying the conversation. Um, Man. Just uh, I'm curious about the the trend in supplements, where it's going to go from here. I, I'm not a Nostradamus or anything, but uh, just so curious to see what's going to come out next. Um, I know that like functional foods are a pretty exciting thing, like, you know, high protein, yeah. lower carb foods are cool. Anything that's good for convenience. You know, I like that. I like having, you know, stuff that I can grab quickly and it makes life easier. Yeah, uh, be it a protein bar or a food or something like that. I think it's an exciting time for that because you have so many options as a consumer, right? Um, we were talking about different brands. How many flavor options do you have now as a consumer? Oh, stuff I know. that Tricky really dress. tastes good too. Like yeah, here's I mean, you remember the stuff we took years ago? It tasted brutal, man. I called it I called it gasoline and gasoline flavored. That's what it was for us. The Twin Labs back in the '80s and '90s. It was you know just choke it. And how chalky, like I remember taking an egg protein powder from back in the day and it was just like drinking chalk. Yep. And nowadays you got, you know, some of the stuff is really flavored. Well, these guys do really good jobs of flavoring this stuff. And to me, that's kind of exciting and a, a really cool time for consumers. So let me ask you this, because obviously you're a supplement user with today's flavor scientists and everything else between you and I. Well, obviously, everyone watching and watching this, should there still be supplements that still taste like crap? There's really not a big excuse for it nowadays. There, yeah. I will say there are some formulas and some ingredients that are very hard to flavor. Yes. Okay? Um, so for that, I can understand it, but there's really not an excuse. So um, I tried a product by Genius, the Genius brand. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, they're really not in the kind of the, they're kind of in the fitness space, but they're more for the general public. Yep. Um, and they had a BHB um, ketone product that I tried. Mm -hmm. And I, it tasted so bad that I could not finish the serving. And all wow. I'm saying to myself is, how did somebody sit in a room in a meeting and approve of this? Yep. 
There's no excuse for that, man. It shouldn't be that bad, you know? Yeah. I've been in, you know, I've been in those meetings where we taste tested stuff and we've gone through, you go through a million iterations of, you know, getting it better and better. It tasted so bad. I, I really want to know who was in that meeting that approved that, that, that stamped that and said, go ahead and make that formula. It was that bad. So I feel that way with some of these collaborations. There's some companies that are hitting the collaborations on the head, but mm -hmm. there's other ones that I'm not about to divulge who they are. People can look at my reviews and see who they are, but there's others where it's like collaborating with this company or this flavor and this brand, and it tastes like garbage. And I'm the same way. It's like, yeah. how could you let this go? I haven't tried a lot of them. I've tried a few. To me, as a consumer, I don't mind if something's not the best tasting. I don't need it to taste candy coated. Like, yeah, you and I come from the old school. We're, you know, we're used to it. So, um, but. I tried a few, and some were some were good. Like I tried the C four Starburst. I thought that okay. was pretty good. Yep. Um, I tried the Ghost Nutter Butter. So this one was really interesting to me, and it was good and not so good. It wasn't bad. So okay. when I took sips and I got a sip of the actual Nutter Butter pieces, it was delicious. But I got a few sips where there was no Nutter Butter, and it just it tasted like vanilla protein. So there's inclusion. I've never had it. So there's inclusions in it. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And when you got right. the inclusions, it was it was great. And when you didn't, it was just like vanilla. So I don't think the protein powder tasted any different than vanilla. I think they just added the inclusions. I haven't tried the chips ahoy. Everybody, you know, raves about that. Um, yep. And the Oreo is supposed to be another one. I haven't tried that either. But right. I think they're interesting. I think that appeals to a lot of people because hey, it's a it's a branded thing. It's Oreo. It's got to be good. It's Hershey's. It's got to be good. Yeah. Um, but to me, that's not a flavor is not a huge deciding factor for me as a consumer, as a marketer, it is, but not as a consumer. Yeah, for me, it's uh, pre workouts. The one thing that I really give a pass on, because again, for me, it's I, I generally slam my pre workouts. I don't sip them, mm -hmm. but I generally do use a BCAA intro, so that I want it flavored, mm -hmm. and then obviously protein. I mean, protein's the other thing that that I'll sip on over half an hour, thirty five minutes, or whatever. Those are the two areas I want to hear. I want some flavor, or something I can palatable. Right. But I generally don't drink my protein shakes. I'll use protein powder, mix it into like oatmeal or something. Yeah. So uh, for me, I, I can just tolerate a basic chocolate. Um, but I do like to try different ones. But um, I never was the type of consumer that went for like the fancy flavors. That wasn't me. Yeah. Stick with the chocolate, vanilla and, and strawberries back in the day. Yeah. Uh, cookies and cream was as wild as I would get. <laughs> I remember that. I remember but, uh, that. But I've tried a bunch. You know, obviously, one of the most fun things about working for a supplement company is taste testing. So when we used to do that, it was fun to like taste test different stuff, especially like back <laughs> when we taste testing uh, pre workouts. Okay. Oh, you don't realize how much caffeine you take. And even when you're taking little sips, like when you've tried like 20 different ones, you're flying. You're just flying. Yep. <laughs> do you remember the first supplement you used? Yeah, um, the first supplement, believe it or not, uh, this is true. The first supplement I used um, was a weeder powder, dynamic muscle builder. Okay. Um, I was in a parent, a friends of my parents' house, and their son worked out, and I went down to his basement and did a workout with him, my first workout ever. We went upstairs, and he mixed it in orange juice, and it was chalky as hell. Um, but that was my very first supplement, and I, I kind of got hooked on it. And in high school, like I said, I was really skinny, and I wanted to gain yeah. weight. And back then, weeder had – um, they took their powders, right? They had a, a weight gainer called Big, mm -hmm. and they made it into a chewable. And Interesting. It was perfect for high school. Okay. Because I could stick it in my gym bag or my school bag, and I could chew on it in between class or during class. But it was so fucking dry and chalky. <laughs> I was dying. Like, I'd be in class, like, chewing on these things, and, like, I didn't have a drink with me, and it was brutal, man. I, I remember the first one I had, because I was like you. I was I – was, 
like five eight, and I probably weighed about buck twenty. And that's why it's like you. I worked out to get bigger and everything else. So I did. There was a twin lab heavyweight gainer twenty five hundred. Okay. And it was two cups of milk, mm-hmm. and it was like it wasn't bad. But I remember that was the first one. Yeah. that I had. You want to talk about like literally filling up the whole blender and drinking like all 18 ounces or whatever. I did a lot of weight gainers back in the day. It's crazy. <laughs> back back with the, that's when, that's when nobody knew, knew the, the horrors of mixing, uh, what you call whole eggs into, into your shakes. Oh yeah. Did did that many times. Oh my God. Yeah. But, but Eric, anything else? I've, I've enjoyed the conversation, my friend. I know, I know we've had a couple of minutes, you know, at the gym and, and we seem like we talk daily now, but I've, I've really enjoyed the time here. Yeah. No, I think it's cool. Um, I appreciate the time too. I would just, uh, a message to people out there. I know there are a lot of guys, uh, I don't want to just say guys, girls too. They want to start their own business or their own supplement line. Um, it's a golden time, man. Do it. The barrier of entry is low. Um, yes, there are costs involved, but you don't have to lay out a ton. Honestly, what we're doing with the poor, with the poor power is um, we we're bootstrapping this thing. I don't have a big budget to work with. Yeah, um, I was unemployed when I started it, so I wouldn't have any steady money coming in. I had enough money to buy the first um, the first inventory. It was a very small run. I got lucky with a manufacturer who gave me a very small run, and I flipped that. I sold that, and then I took that yeah. money and bought the second run and the third run. And I'm not taking any money from the company. Um, at all, uh, probably not for a year or two. Uh, we're, okay. we're just going to build boot, bootstrapping and build the brand that way. But you can, if you're interested, if that's what you guys want, you can start your own brand. There's challenges. It's not easy, um, yeah. especially in the supplement space, especially with all the, uh, you know, the inventory issues and the lead times on stuff. But if that's your dream, do it, man. Um, I kind of wish I would have done mine sooner, although I think the timing was perfect based on my experience and knowledge now that I have more than I had years ago, but yeah. um, do it. Go for it, man. Make it your dream. You found Come a category. A I'm sure I'm sure there's other competitors. You found a category that's small enough that hopefully you can get in and, and make a name yeah. versus something company trying to make the next great pre-workout. So in the, in the pet space, there is a ton of competition, but not really in the stuff that I'm doing. So if you look at dog food, Tremendous. I wouldn't even try and get into dog food right now or yeah. um, dog treats, although we're making a couple of treats, but small, real on a small level. Um, those are very competitive. There are other dog peanut butter companies, but not a lot. And I know that we can be, we can differentiate ourselves as a brand. Um, so what, I, what's I the big a picture, Eric? Do you want to be, you want to be in the pet smarts? You want to just go Amazon online and just mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, do you want to, you want to go uh, straight to consumer or what's the, what's the end play or big picture? Yeah, so I, I don't know. I haven't completely fleshed all that out. Okay. Sounds great to be like in a PetSmart and stuff. It's not always great to be in mass market. There are pros and there are cons to it. Yep. Um, right now we are we sell on our direct to consumer on our website. We sell on Amazon, and I'm in. I got in some uh, mom and pop um, stores, which I like to support those. I'd rather support those stores than a Petco or a PetSmart. Um, and I got into a supplement store and I talked to a couple of other supplement stores. A lot of people that buy supplements have dogs. So it's like almost like a, a, a perfect thing to get into. So I am going to look into getting into places like Whole Foods. I think yep. our brand and product um, can do well there. I uh, started to talk to the vitamin shop. I don't know if anything's going to happen, but they do carry some pet products. And I think those things would be interesting. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and share up here for just a minute for anybody that's, that's watching. Thank you. Powernutrition.com. 
Do it again. If you, if you if you love your dog, give him treats. I mean, I use it my I should I use it myself, but I use it my dog. That is, <laughs> I but know I'm people just, that eat it. I was gonna say I'm assuming it's probably safe for safe for humans, but it's probably the very bland. I would guess, right? Totally human grade, but again, like I like you said, like you said, it's a little bit bland because we don't use salt. Yeah. But I know a lot of people like it. I like salty stuff, so to me, it's not a you know I'd rather have salt than my peanut butter. But um, yeah, it's absolutely human grade. All made in the USA. All the ingredients are sourced in the USA. Um, and like I said, the big thing is every month we give a donation to a different deserving dog rescue based on the prior month sales. Awesome. Awesome. Eric, where can, where can people follow you? I mean, lay all your different handles down. I don't know if you're on TikToks and I know you're yeah. on Instagram and everything else. I'm probably um, most active on Instagram and TikTok. So on Instagram, it's the underscore Eric underscore Schwartz. I know that's annoying. I used to be natural guy on there. Um, and I'm on TikTok and I'm doing some supplement reviews. I'm trying to be like you when I grow up and do a bunch of supplement <laughs> reviews. Um, yeah, that's something new that I got into. Now that I'm not affiliated with any particular supplement company, I can give my yep. unbiased opinion uh, and just help consumers out. My only goal there, I'm not trying to monetize it. My only goal there is to help consumers make good decisions um, yep. with their money. And that's why you'll see when I do my reviews, I always talk about the cost per serving and what it costs and whether I think it's a good value or not. Yep. Um, I try and help consumers in that way. So I'm on Instagram as SupGuy, S-U-P-P-G-U-I. Okay. And, uh, so mostly I talk about supplements, but we do a lot of lifting talk. And um, sometimes I make fun of the fitness people on TikTok because it's a weird bunch over there. Um, it's got <laughs> its own culture. I find myself here you know, obviously watching your reviews, but I'm equally intrigued, like watching the watching the captions. Cause I don't know if you've ever watched like how oh. off they are sometimes. It's hilarious. Yeah. I, you know, I really should take more time to you can edit those. It just takes okay, time yeah. to have to sit there and review them and then edit them. But yeah, it's funny. Those auto caption things do come up with some funny, uh, some funny stuff. But fitness TikTok is a wild space. There's a lot of stuff going on there that's so interesting and there's a lot to talk about there. So are you, are you, so I said you're more active on Instagram and less on TikTok or are you kind of just sharing probably, back and forth? I'd probably say equally now. I'm on TikTok a lot now for poor power. Yep. Um, so I have two accounts. I have my sub guy account where I only talk about fitness stuff. And then we have poor power nutrition just for that. I keep that separate. Uh, Cause any of you guys that are in TikTok, you really want to, if you want your TikTok to grow, you really want to be in one niche. Keep your yep. TikTok focused on one thing. Don't try and be everything. Uh, the TikTok algorithm is super sophisticated. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's really sophisticated. It's really amazing what how that algorithm works. But you really, if you want to be successful on TikTok and you want to grow, stick with one thing. So that's why I have two separate channels. I don't really mix my poor power with the fitness stuff. Uh, yep. Yeah, keep it separate. So I want to share one last as we part out. White Mountain Manimals, thank you for the interview. Very informative entertainment. And and everybody, thank you so much for following. And once again, the underscore Eric underscore Schwartz. Did did you do that because it was a lot of Eric Schwartz's or no? Because I'd see your name being yeah, probably well, common. I want, the big reason is I wanted my name. I I wanted to put my name in the in the title, in the name, uh, as a real name in case people were searching or whatever. And that was the only thing that was available with my name. So I, I don't mean it as a vanity thing. It's not the, like I'm the Eric Schwartz. Yeah. No, I didn't think so. But Eric, again, it, it's been a pleasure. I mean, I got, I got to meet you a couple of months ago at, at, at the Apollon gym and uh, look forward to doing more stuff with you, my friend. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate your time and appreciate anybody who listened, man. I really appreciate that time. Definitely. And as always, Sub Talk Radio and, and Instagram, it's Sub Talk underscore radio. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Have a great week.